So excited about this morning, been looking forward to it, and uh, excited about jumping in this morning into the text that we're going to look at this morning. If you got your Bible, or if you have your phone, or your iPad, I kind of like the iPad. I can make the words bigger. You try to speak up here with lights in your face. It's a little challenging, all right? No, I'm really excited about this morning and jumping into Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Um, listen, as, uh, as you're a missions pastor here or a missions pastor here um, in the community, listen, I, I get excited about this text. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a parable that we know well, um, the parable of the sower. And so I couldn't think of a greater text. So thank you, Hunter, for allowing me to have this. And so uh, just excited. So I want to jump in. And I don't want to waste time this morning. I, I had a chance to preach this message this past Sunday in Spain, in Spanish. So all my notes are in Spanish. Um, so if I start saying something in Spanish, just kind of give me that, I don't understand what you're saying, look. Uh, it's okay, they did the same thing there to me. Um, no, just kidding. It only took me 40 minutes to do it. So I go, thanks, thanks Max, for giving me a few more moments this morning. So, uh, but hey, let's jump right in. Um, I really believe that when we encounter the living word, of the Lord that our lives get changed. And when we encounter God's word that he changes our spirit and our soul, it's because his word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so it's not by my words, man, but it's his words that change people's lives. And so if you will, if you're there, let's jump into it. All right, here's what he says. And by the way, I don't think it'll be up there, so you're gonna have to look on your own. All right, he says in verse one, and he began to teach beside the sea. Dale did a great job last week bringing us up to this chapter, and, and so here we are, and again he began to teach. This is what he was doing in chapter 3 and kind of around verse 9 or verse 7 there. He, he was teaching at the sea, and so again he, he is by the sea. He says a very large crowd gathered about him. He's had these crowds following him. They've been large there's been a great multitude that's been following him, listening to him teaching, and of course, as, as we heard last week, sometimes they don't say very nice things about our Savior, and sometimes they think he's full of a demon, or they call him Beelzebub, and they call him these names, but yet he's speaking in such a clear way that these crowds are rallying to hear him. It says, he, so he got into a boat. Now, in the Greek, this word is a different word than the, the word that we have in chapter 3, and so it's kind of like a rowboat that actually takes you out to another boat in the sea where he would begin to speak. And so it's interesting that Jesus would have this boat ready just in case the crowds got around him, got so big that he needed a way to escape. So he jumped into this little rowboat and he sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. It's kind of interesting that in Matthew chapter 13 and Luke chapter 8, we have a, this account this story, this parable in there. And so in Matthew, he talks about how he left a house and went to the sea. And some people say that's him kind of indicating that he's changing. When he leaves a house, he's kind of referring to the house of Israel. When he goes to the sea, it's almost like he's beginning to change his focus to the Gentiles. I don't know, just a thought. And so anyway, he begins to cheat and see, and we'll begin to see a change this morning. And then verse two, he says this, and he was teaching many things in parables. And I just want to stop there for a second, because in Matthew as well, all of a sudden Jesus has been speaking very clearly in a very direct manner, and all of a sudden now he, 
It's like this change, it's this switch. He begins to begin from here on out, as we know in later on in this chapter, he begins to just speak in parables. Well, why the shift? Why the change? Why from going from speaking very clearly, doctrine, uh, speaking of doctrine, and to switch to parables? Well, there's a movement today among young, uh, to try to influence young preachers and young speakers to use stories. That's the way, if you're going to communicate clearly, if you're going to reach this next generation, you got to Man, you just got to tell them stories, no matter what kind of story it is, and hide the truth somewhere in that story. And, man, that's what it's going to do. We have this example. Here's what Jesus did. He realized that his, his, his method of communicating wasn't great, and so he had to change his style. As you can imagine, I probably disagree with that. I don't think that's the case here. I don't think Jesus goes, hmm, the way I've been speaking hasn't working, so let me go change. And I'm not saying historians are bad, because some of these people say, hey, look, in the Old Testament... Man, look, they told stories, and that's how they communicated. We love the Old Testament because there's all these great stories about David and his mighty men, or we see the story of Joshua. Those are actually historical facts. Those are historical things that happen, take place. It's, it's not some fantasy story that we're making up and then trying to hide some kind of truth. No, those are actually historical facts that are there. There's a difference, and it's interesting. There's been books that have been written on this to influence our younger generation to maybe rethink the style, the way they communicate. And I'm all for contextualization. Listen, I was a missionary. I know you gotta take the message and you gotta contextualize it to your culture and your audience. But I don't think that Jesus had a change, he was doing a change so he could communicate more clearly. If that was the case, well, why don't we see it afterwards? I mean, we don't see the Apostle Paul do it. We don't see it in the, the prison epistles, are, we, don't, we don't see people, after Jesus passed, we don't see people speaking in parables anymore. They speak very, very clearly. And so I want to talk about parables. Here's what I think parables are. Now, this is my opinion, and I'm not going to say, well, I don't think it's just my opinion. I'm not saying whoever's going to speak next is going to have a different one. But here's what I think, and I think we'll look at the text today, and I think it will say it. Here's why I think parables, and here's the purpose of parables, and here's what they're about. And so I'm going to give you a little tool that I use when I read parables. This is how I see them. These are the lenses I read them in and see them, and hopefully maybe it'll help you as you go. And so begin to speak parables. So here's my viewpoint. Jump down to verse 10 with me. Maybe you have a title in your Bible that actually says the purpose of parables. And he says, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And the disciples didn't know what was going on. Like, well, why the change? Why the curveball? Like, uh, and by the way, if you'll notice, and when he was alone, this is another time. We'll read the parable in a second. But so the, this is a different moment. This is later on. And, and when he's alone, <laughs> we didn't want to look dumb. Jesus around everybody else. But yeah, we did not understand. So can you help us out? And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. Now, this is interesting. Those who are outside. Mark is the only one that adds those words. It's almost like you're outside of the circle. Outside, everything is in parables. So that, hmm, now get this. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. May indeed hear, but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. Well, that, that's interesting. This is the reason for parables? I, I read a quote. I was reading in Weast Word Studies, and let's see if it'll pop up on my, on my tablet here. And he talks about Robinson, 
And he says this, what is certain that is that the use of parables on this occasion was a penalty for judicial blindness on those who will not see. The parables are thus a condemnation on the willfully blind and hostile, while a guide and blessing to the enlightened. And so here's how I view them. I, I think when we look at parables, they're always, a, they're always a source of judgment. It's a condemnation to those who don't understand. Jesus, there's huge crowds out there, and Jesus knows at this moment that a lot of that crowd, they're not going to follow him. They're not going to keep on. They're going to wither away. Some are going, hey, I love the now. I love the, and we'll look at this a little bit. Hey, I'm enjoying the limelight, enjoying hearing these new teachings. But he knows that, boy, when the rubber meets the road, that many of them are going to kind of go by the wayside. He knows that he's going to be, he's changed his styles as he just, as we saw in chapter three, this accusing of who he is and calling him a demon and Satan and all these different names and begins to shift because they understand, listen, I'm going to speak in parables. It's actually a condemnation to those who are on the outside. But let me tell you, here's another thing I think. I believe, the, I believe also parables are always about this. They're always about the gospel and they're always about salvation. And some people say, well, what about like the, aren't they just like good stories about maybe moral greatness or goodness and maybe this, the, the parable of the, the prodigal son, maybe isn't that like about a family and about how we could be better in our families? Well, if that was the purpose of that parable, then basically you have a son who runs away from a home with no mom. And actually, if you read that through those lenses, the hero of that parable would be, well, the son that stayed home. I don't think that's it. The purpose, listen, is always a parable. The focus is always the gospel and is always salvation. So if you, you look at verse 13, Jesus says, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? Now, in the Greek, there's a definite article there. It's almost like if you don't understand this one, and of course, I think our English does actually a good job, this one. He says in the next question, how then will you understand all the parables? It's almost, it's, it, the construction is this. If you're not understanding the, this parable of the sower, there's no way you're going to understand the rest. It, actually, this is the key to understanding the rest of the parables, kind of fascinating here that scripture tells us the purpose of parables and how to understand them. So this is just my little side note before we jump into it. Just want to throw that out there because I think it's important that we understand that because there's a lot of teaching, there's a lot of thought out there that wants to change the way we look at things and look at scripture. If you want to begin to change a culture and you don't like the way the church is going, one of the best things that uh, the world has is language. And they begin to do a higher criticism or they begin to reconstruct language in a way going, hey, can it say this? And when we begin to change things because of language, then we begin to change meanings. So I want to go back to the original and say, no, listen, this is Jesus speaking very clear. Here's the purpose. The purpose was that, listen, to those on the outside, they're not going to understand it wasn't so that things would be more clear. It was actually condemnation. It was actually someone merciful too. Jesus says to those, much is given, much is required. And Jesus is speaking, these religious leaders are there. And the more they know, the more is going to be required of them. So therefore, the judgment actually be more severe. So Jesus takes this little shift and begins to speak about the parable. So now let's look at the parable. And so he says, in his teaching, he said to them, and actually funny, it's in Spanish, the word there is doctrina which means we would get the same word as our word doctrine. And um, last week we were in Spain and we were teaching things. We did these five doctrines. And we said, when you hear the word doctrine, all it means is teaching. And we tell people teaching. It's funny. Our English version translates that into teaching. And he said to them, listen. Listen up, man. Listen up, people. Pay attention. Let me grab you here. Listen. It's important. I'm about to say something. Behold, uh, a sower went out to sow. 
And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Another seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Another seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Another seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hey, if you, if you, if you, hey listen, hey, put this in your mind. Hey, if you got ears, let's hear, let's hear this. And so he wants to people to understand and grasp this. Now, up to this point, Jesus has been speaking in a, in a way, I almost spoke in Spanish there in my head. Um, he spoke in a way that was very clear and concise. And all of a sudden it's changed. And all of a sudden he talks about seed and a sower and a farmer. And if you imagine some of the religious leaders going, man, I'm not following this story. Like, what happened to the previous chapter? Like, what happened to those previous things where you're very clear and like, what do you mean by this? And then he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Come on. <laughs> I'm hearing you, but I'm not understanding but he says, who has ears? So let's talk about this parable. So when I, when I do our gospel conversation training, which I'm going to throw a little plug in here. We have another one on November 2nd. One of the things I do in that training is when we go out and share the gospel, there's, there's definitely going to get four different kind of responses to the gospel. And so I'll go ahead and give them to you. Pretty simple. It's like a stoplight. There's a red, yellow, green. And so when, you, when we share the gospel, some people are going to say yes. Some people are going to say maybe. Some people are going to say No. And some people will say, I'm already a believer. There's your four responses. And we get that from Acts chapter 17, verses I think 32 and 34. We can see that there. And so this morning when I looked and I listened and I look at this text, we, it's kind of like Jesus talking about the condition of the soil. When we throw our seed out there, when the gospel goes out, what is the condition of the, the soil in people's hearts and people's lives? What is the condition of the heart of the person that they're going to hear. And so I want to look at these conditions and then ask ourselves, what is the condition of our heart? So we're going to go through four of them and then we'll look at them and say, all right, where, where are we? So let's look at the first one. And by the way, so we're going to jump back down because Jesus is one of the few parables where he says, oh, let me explain to you what I meant. So you don't even need me. You just read the text and you'll know what it meant. <clears throat> but I got 20-something minutes, so I'll help. <laughs> so the sowers, in verse 14, remember before this, how you understand, if you don't understand this, how are you going to understand the other ones? Because remember, we're going to talk about the gospel and salvation. And here we're looking at the condition of people's hearts to receive. So the sower sows the What? The word, right? So we're talking about the gospel. We're talking about the word of the Lord, which is active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We're talking about this word that has power, the same power that raised God from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God. We're talking about this kind of power. So it's not your words, my words. It's the living word of God that has power. And so the sower sows the, the word. So the seed is the word. So we're out to share. And so the, I just want to throw that out there. The word is it's powerful. It's not yours and my word. So it takes a lot of weight off. So when we throw the word out there, it's not dependent upon our source, but his source from where the power of the word comes from. 
All right, so we got the, the seed and the sower. Understand it's talking about throwing the seed and the seeds, the word, the gospel. He says in verse 15, he says, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Now, this is interesting. So this is a condition. The first one, we, we see the type of the soil, what kind of soil we have here. It's a, it's a path, right? And so how do you form a path? What happens to a soil when people walk on it? Have a 150-pound-plus dog. It's a pretty big dog. He's a gentle giant. But he walks in my backyard the same path over and over. I remember last fall, I threw seed at it, hoping to grow grass. And behind our fence, there was this other boxer. And um, they would run the back of the fence. And so from my fence to my grass now, there's, a, there's just a mud path when it rains. And I can't get anything to grow on it. And when there's no rain, it is hard because my dog is stepping on it over and over and over and over. And so here we have the condition of the heart is, is one that is hard. The soil's been hard, it's been compacted. And so it begs the question, how does the soil in someone's heart become hard? How, how does that happen in our lives? So I began to think about this and thinking about my dog and watching him. There's no, there's no barrier. I've often thought, I need to get my dog to go a different way. Can I get him off that path for a little bit of time to go in a different way so he won't kill all my grass on that one? See, the thing is, when people's hearts and lives are open to everything, and everything begins to trample on someone's spirit and someone's mind and someone's soul and someone's heart, media. Let's just stop Snapchat and Twitter and any kind of news channel or any kind of media and then our movies and our television and then the professors that are in our universities that, I'm not saying I'm in favor of what all they teach, but some of what they teach and all this secularism begins to come in, but then other stuff comes in and the doctrine of, and we hear theology from Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and these different occults and these different sects and you begin to see that they have no filter, there's no barriers or protection, there's nothing to say this is truth and this is not truth and they say my life is wide open to everything and everything begins to trample on their lives and their heart becomes just becomes hard. You ever share the gospel and try to talk to someone, you go, boy, that's a hard soul. That's a hard nut to crack. It's because their lives have been opened to everything. Listen, I've shared the gospel in about every continent around here, except for Antarctica, all right? It's kind of cold. Um, but you meet, you meet people and they're going, I mean, I've been spit on, threatened to be hit with a baseball bat. There are a lot of things that happen to me. People are hard. You're like, how do they arrive to this condition? Some of us have family members who you'd say, listen, I begin to share and it's hard. It's like, hey man, don't even bring that to me. I begin and they begin to walk away right away. It's, they're hard. It's because their lives have been open to everything else. But what I find fascinating here is this, that Satan wants to grab that seat quickly, rapidly. That fascinates me. Here's soil that's not ready to even receive the seed, but yet Satan wants to snatch it up. Now I find that Incredibly, because why? Because Satan even knows that that word is powerful. No matter what kind of soil that is, that word has power to break that right down and split it wide open. Here's what I find fascinating is that you don't hear Satan going, hey, when the Mormon comes to the door and they begin to throw their stuff or the, 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 the Muslims go in, they begin, and I have a Muslim track in my office and you see their little kind of their propaganda and, and when they throw out theirs, you don't see Satan going, oh, let me snatch that. He says, he who throws your word Satan's 
And Satan knows that the word of God is powerful. It fascinated me. Didn't say that about anything. Satan didn't try to snatch anything else up, any other religion, any other doctrine, any other secularism thought out there. But when it comes to the word, the truth, he goes, man, I want to get that out because that has power to change people's lives. By the way, that was a good place to say amen. <clears throat> Jesus has the, the power to change people's lives. Amen? amen? All right, just making sure you're still with me. Come on. All right, verse 16, look at this. We'll go to the next one. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation and persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately they fall away. And so we, we have the hard word here. Now we kind of got a, the rocky soil, right? Um, we kind of have a different, um, different kind of, we, we have a heart or a condition that's, um, that's shallow, a Spanish word is no tiene profundo. All right, so I'm like, all right, I translate that. All right, it's, it's shallow. And so we have this shallow condition. And so here we have the seed, it comes in, and someone receives it with joy, but also because there's no way for that, that those, in those pebbles in that rocky terra, um, earth to, to, to be able to soil, to be able to take root, it dies quickly when the sun comes out. All right, so let's think about this soil. What is this one like? You ever see someone, all of a sudden, man, they, they come, they hear the gospel or they hear something and then, boy, they, they jump to it, but then they quickly fade away. Have you ever have family members or friends or coworkers that you've seen, oh, yeah, and then all of a sudden, whoa, what happened to them? When I was in Spain this past Sunday, I was speaking to the, to the congregation there and, and I was trying to explain this and I said, listen, we, we planted this church five years ago in 2014 and I'm looking at the people that are sitting there. There's about 40, 45 people. I said, me, the pastor, Berkel, and his wife, I mean, and, and Pastor Fernando and his wife, Fina. Listen, we're the only ones here that were here the first day this church began. We saw a lot of people come into the church. Hey, I'm excited. I'm excited. And then for a little bit, and they've gone. Where did they all go? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Went back home and said, hey, I went to this evangelical church, which most of the Catholic culture there thinks is a crazy cold or sec. And all of a sudden they get to their family and what happens? You're doing what? You're going where? And if you go there, we'll have nothing to do with you. I read an article even before I ever moved to Spain. It says for someone to even try to go to an evangelical church there, it'd be the same as a Muslim converting. They'd be ostracized from their family. And so I, I was talking to the church. Listen, there's people, we've seen people come in. We've seen them get real excited. And then what happens is when tribulation, and you can use that word test, right? When tests come and begin to say, hey, is this really true? This root really take in? And they go, oh, wait a minute. This, maybe this is not for me. And the persecution begins to come. Listen, every time when I use this share of the gospel, I say, listen, don't do this because you want it. You do this because God's calling you to. This is not easy. This, this will cost you something. Salvation is free, but to follow Christ will cost you something. Don't raise your hand just to appease your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or because of peer pressure. No, this is a decision that you have to make. Because oftentimes I see people to go, hey, well, you know, everybody else is doing it. Let me just kind of do it. There's been an emotional time. And then nothing ever happens. You're like, whoa, what happened? It's because when the rubber hit the road, they went home and talked to the friends and the coworkers. And they said, hey, I decided to follow Jesus. And then they begin to get laughed at and mocked at. And they're like, oh, wait a minute, maybe not. This is a shallow condition of someone's heart I've seen it many times unfortunately sometimes I believe it's because we haven't discipled well right afterwards all right we're gonna keep going 
And so here we are in verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. So here we kind of have the heart that's just choked. The condition of the heart is just almost, I would say almost full. Strangled condition of this person's heart. And so here's the soil. Notice this one actually has a root, but doesn't ever produce anything. But it says that cares, in the Greek there, that's kind of where we get the idea of worry or anxiety takes place. And what fascinates me is this, that I hear studies coming out, especially now young, among millennials, is that they have more anxiety than any other previous generation. They're so stressed with things that are going on taking place. And all I hear is Satan, man. Here's another, here's another way, another tool you can go, anxiety. Here's stress. Here's, here's the cares of the world, the worries of the world. All of a sudden that I have to try to keep up with Joneses or I have to get this person's approval or this approval. And the cares of the world begin to come upon someone's heart and soul and it begins to choke out any kind of fruit. I believe Jesus redeems us so that he doesn't just put us on the sidelines. Now, when Jesus saved you, he meant to put you in the game give you spiritual gifts to do something for the body, to equip the saints. It's just not the pastors or the missionaries. It's not for the elders and the deacons. It's, listen, everybody. It's the qualifications, which should be qualifications for any believer. It's, he puts you in the game to do something, but here's what happens. We allow things to come in our lives that strangle. And the word there in the Greek actually is kind of like almost compression. Things begin to compress upon your life and begin to choke you out where you produce and you and I produce no fruit. There's a soil that is very tied up and choked out. It says this, it says the deceitfulness of riches. Listen, I have no idea about this because I'm not in this ball game, but it doesn't matter if you're poor or rich. The, 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 every poor person wants to be rich and every rich person I know usually wants to be richer. And if you're middle, you want to be richer too. The, the problem here is not money. Money in itself is Actually, a good thing, right? We need it to live. You want to be wise. The Bible talks about being wise with your investments. Matter, matter of fact, it says you should be able to provide for your kids and your grandkids. And, and by the way, we as believers should invest our money better than anybody else. Because the scripture speaks more. I went through Crown, financial. Man, that is a great class. My father-in-law used to teach as well. Listen, there's a, there, there's a lot of great things the Bible says about our finances and things. Here's how we ought to do it. Here's how we ought, to, we ought to use our money. We ought to be some of the best people, the wisest people with our funds. But here's the thing. When we think that we find satisfaction and we find our hope and we think that money or the riches or the things will actually satisfy that, that's, that's where we're mistaken. And that's where we fall. You and I have seen that. We've seen people go after things of the world and, well, if I just had this. Listen, I've been there. I love gadgets and I love electronics and I always, sometimes I go, oh, if I just have that, man, that'd be really great. And then when you get it, all right, <laughs> okay. I have new iPhones coming out another year or two years anyway. Oh, I need that one. It's like it's never, it's a, it's a bottomless pit, right? And so we think things can really satisfy when they can't. Only thing that can satisfy us is Jesus himself. And so when we allow the deceitfulness of riches to come in, the things that we think, hey, this will take place when we put something else in front of God, it just chokes us out and the desire for other things in life. Listen, that, that could be not just material things, that could be immaterial things. Men, listen, there's things that will choke and strangle you and compress you. 
It's just a reality. I did student ministry long enough, talked to young men, talked to whoever, and usually found a son, usually dad struggles with the same thing. Listen, when it comes to things of the world, it's just not the immaterial, it's the immaterial. We gotta watch, we have to guard our minds. There's things that will come into our lives, guys, that we have to be like Joseph and we need to leave it alone and run the other way. I think you know what I'm talking about. Men, we need each other. Two are strong, three are even better. We need accountability in certain areas of our life. We need to guard those things where Satan will come. There's lies that will come in from the enemy too saying, you're not good enough. Now you better not say anything. They'll think you're dumb. They'll think you're, you think you're weird. <laughs> Last night we had a next 40. I heard a young lady go, ah, I'm not one who really shares the gospel. So I, you can tell the years of life that she's been listening to a lie. Like sharing the gospel is dependent upon us. It's the seed that has the power, not us. Like the results aren't dependent upon me, they're dependent upon him. He just tells me to go out and share. And there's lies that come to us to say, hey, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you haven't been a good husband. Or to bring up the past and say, hey, because of this, you can't do this. That's a bunch of hogwash. Listen, we gotta care for the lies, not just the material things that come in our lives, but the immaterial that come in and try to take things away from us. Okay. Let's go to the one that we all like. All right, verse 20, the good soil, right? But to those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Hey, a good, a good harvest, a, a good um, consecha, all right, in Spanish, all right? A good harvest would be 10 to 1. Jesus says here's a 30, a 60, a 100-fold. That is amazing. So how does that happen? I mean, what kind, of, what kind of condition? That is someone who says, hey, I am totally available for the gospel and whatever it takes, I lay everything behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, and listen, I'm going. I've decided to follow Jesus. Come on. Amen? All right, let's see what you're with me. All right, so look at here. I got a couple of points, and I want to close up, and then I want us to spend a few moments in prayer. Look at each one of these soils. Each of them have an enemy. First one is Satan. Second one, flesh. Third one, the world. Every time of this year we go on a mission trip, we go through the book of Ephesians. Every day, Ephesians 1, next day, Ephesians 2, next day, Ephesians 3. So you jump into Ephesians 2, it's right there. Satan, the flesh, and the world. These are our enemies. And nothing new under the sun. The same right here. These are our things that will hinder us from doing great things from the world. Okay. I want you to jump back up with me. I didn't talk on it, and this is where I'm going to close. Verse 11, and he said to them, talking to the disciples and those around him, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, men, followers of me, listen, let me give you the secret. Here's the secret. Here's a new age. And here's the age. The age that you're going to live on and what you and I are living on now is this. It's the age of sowing. You and I have the chance to live in the age of sowing. This is great. And so how do we sow? Well, look at this parable. What did the sower do? Mm, I'm just looking for the good soil. Well, I better walk over here and just toss it. When you read this parable, what kind of imagery do you have in your mind? I have imagery of a guy just going, I don't care where it falls, I'm just tossing. Do you get that imagery? That's what I get because of falling on the path. And Rocky, he's not being really precise of just trying, and I'm not a farmer, all right? Though I did live on a farm when I was little. 
He didn't care just to kind of go out to the fields. Listen, he says, I'm tossing it everywhere. Here's good news. Here's two things. One, you and I, we're living in the age of sowing. And second is, we ought to sow broadly. When I was a missionary, this was hammered. Sow broadly. Sow broadly. Because some of us, this old lie says, you got to be a friend with someone for so long time. And then when you become a friend after three or four or five years, then you share the gospel. Friendship evangelism is called. Well, that was a bunch of junk. We weren't leading anybody to Christ. We always said someone ought to know who you are within the first three conversations or within the first 30 minutes of talking. They ought to know who you are and what you're about. And so sow the seed broadly. Sow it broadly. And by the way, look, the results aren't, here's the good news. The results aren't dependent upon you or me. Some people I've heard preach this thing go, oh, we got to prepare the soil. Well, I'm not saying we shouldn't help and try, but that's not dependent upon me. Jesus says, here's the new mystery. Sow. Sow broadly. Because why? Because it's not your words, it's power in me. So here's what God's looking at this morning, men. He's wanting to know, hey, we live in the age of sowing, will you be a sower? Jesus didn't save you to put you on the sideline. If that was the case, he would have just took on and taken you to heaven and brought you to glory. But he says, no, I got a plan. Listen, you have people in your, in your life, in your network, that I will never have a contact with. And I'll just say this. We have people that we live in contact with. Family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, that desperately need to hear the gospel. And then let me just talk about another category. Those who are still waiting. You ever meet somebody who's never heard of Jesus before? Rare here, but not impossible. My wife was in Kenya one year, and she was walking with a group of guys. There was one of the guys named Josh Bush, and he was red hair, and they went into a hut in Africa. And, so, and as they kind of went into to there, was an older lady there, almost 100 years old. Michelle walks in, Josh walks in. As soon as he walks in, he goes, she says this, tell me, tell me, tell me. What do you, like, what? <laughs> tell you what? <laughs> she goes, I've had a dream that a guy with red hair would come in and tell me how to know God. <laughs> tell me. Listen, there are people that are waiting when I lived in Spain, my neighbor across the street, Javi, I've had great conversations with him as a young guy. And, well, he's not so much young anymore, but he was young then. Um, and I remember talking to him. Sometimes we had coffees and, and we continued to share. He said, Wes, you are the first Christian I've ever met in my life. I'm like, how is that possible? What happened to the believers? Why don't they rise up? There's people out there that necessarily need to hear and are waiting for someone to come share. All right, let's do this. I want you to just kind of bow your heads. I want to just ask the Lord to ask a question to your heart right now. So if you'll just bow your heads, close your eyes. I want you just to ask the Lord this question. Lord, what's the condition of my heart? Is it hard? Is it shallow? Man, are there things in my life that are choking out for me being really fruitful for you? Give the Holy Spirit a moment. Just ask your heart. Maybe you say, Wes, I'd really like to be the good soil. I'd like to finish strong. I'd like to be that 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. I'd like to see my life reproduced into other people because I think that's what Jesus is in the business of doing.
So one, if maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ and you've been playing church and you've been playing just Christianity, but you've never really come to the point where you said, I've really trusted and fully allowed Christ to come in and dig roots into my heart and my life. I've gone to church and done the religious things and appear it, but I've never allowed Jesus to come to my life. If that's you and you'd say, Wes, I'd really like today to really give my life to Jesus and make a full commitment. Just slip your hand up. You've never really given your life to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you've been that rocky or that shallow and you've been playing church and you say, listen, this morning I want to, I want to fully surrender to Jesus. Is anybody here this morning that want to do that? Jesus died on the cross publicly. Wasn't ashamed of you or me. But no one's looking around just between me and you. Is anybody here to say, hey, for the first time I'd really like to quit playing church and give my life to Jesus? Here's my second thing. I'm going to take it that you know Jesus then if you didn't raise your hand. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Ask the Lord to put three to five people's names on your mind right now that need to hear the good news. They need to hear this word. And take one minute and say, Jesus, this week or the next couple weeks, will you give me an opportunity to talk with him? Jesus, I'm grateful for your word that is living and active, that, that challenges us. God, I thank you that you revealed the secret to us, that, that we live in an age of sowing. So God, help us to be sowers. God, thank you that it's not dependent upon us, but you ask us just to be available to sow. So God, you've given us your word, so we have the seed. God, we forgive us when times we have not been faithful to sow. But God, from this day forward, help us to be faithful and to sowing to those around, and to those who are still waiting to hear. So God, use us as men, followers of you, claimed by your name as ambassadors to be salt and light for you in, in a world today that is, is very much against who you are. God, help us to stand firm and strong. God, help us to be amazing people, not for our glory, but for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You're dismissed. Thank you, guys.